The Way BK podcast is dedicated to pursuing and promoting a true understanding of Jesus Christ and the transformation He provides for all who submit to Him to live in a way that is pleasing to God as revealed in the Bible. Let's join our hosts as they discuss The Way. 1 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 1. It's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer, then, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God and not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into condemnation incurred by the devil? And he must have a good reputation with those outside so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women, likewise, must be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of of one wife, good managers of their children and their households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. All right, Ben, you want to take us uh, through this text and and lead us through this as we um, look at it together? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple things that uh, just kind of at the outset that are interesting. So he talks about basically two uh, groups of people that are given sort of special roles. They're not the only special roles in in churches, but they're two pretty significant ones. Uh, Overseers, or some translations say bishops, and then uh, deacons in verse 8. And uh, the word deacon in particular is probably... Well, actually, both of these words, I think, are pretty important for us to camp out on a little bit and try to define or maybe redefine in some of our cases as far as what it actually means. Maybe starting with a deacon. Uh, I think a lot of times people talk about what a deacon is. They think about some sort of officer that's analogous to like, a, I don't know, middle management of a, a church or something like that. Kind of a big deal. They get, you know, special shout outs. They get maybe they, they special honor, whatever. And that's probably, it's an unfortunate thing because really the word deacon just means a servant. So it would, and I think it would actually shift our mentality a little bit. If we read verse eight, servants likewise must be men of dignity, blah, 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 all the stuff. Uh, it would make a little more sense. It would also show us more what deacons are supposed to do in a church family they're not supposed to get some sort of title of respect or honor, though it's certainly good for us to honor those who serve. Jesus did say those who serve are the greatest in the kingdom, but, and maybe that's how deacons kind of got the idea of deaconship got twisted out into something that is really not. 
But it's just important, I think, at the outset to redefine that. We'll come back to that in a minute and, and talk some more. We're talking about these kind of in one clump, but really they're two different offices, two different uh, roles of service. Um, though there's a lot just, of similarities. Just to your point right there, um, you know, uh, Jesus in Matthew 20, um, which you're, you may have just been alluding to in verse 26, um, he says, you know, the rulers, the Gentiles lord it over them, their high officials exercise authority over them. Um, not so with you, whoever wants to be great among you must become your deacon, must become your servant. I mean, that's the word. So, uh, it would help us to think more that way. I think you're right about that. Yeah. And help me remember, um, I'm double checking this because I'm afraid I'm going to forget. Isn't it in John 13? Doesn't Jesus use this word to talk about himself? Never mind. He doesn't. Um, it's a word. It's used twice, uh, three times in John, John two, verse five, John two, verse nine and John 12, 26. Yeah. And none of those, but, the, but, but the idea, even if it's not the precisely exact same Greek word, right. it's the same idea where Jesus is saying, Hey, when I'm among you, I'm here to serve. So there's a real sense in which Jesus was kind of a deacon, you know, and even that passage you referred to in Matthew 20, right. when he says, you guys need to serve, he's saying like me, be like me, you know? So Anyway, um, that's what a deacon really is. Similar thing with a bishop or an overseer. You know, sometimes the word bishop, um, obviously there's some religious groups that use this as like there's a guy who has authority over like multiple church leaders in a region and all of them answer to him. and He kind of coordinates all of their activity. He's the bishop and they're these more localized leaders. That's, that's foreign to the scriptures. Uh, the only leaders that had any kind of authority outside of local churches were the apostles. And really the only reason they did is because Jesus specifically commissioned them to get the ball rolling with the kingdom of God past the apostles. There's no such thing as regional leadership or even um, elders or shepherds or bishops or overseers, which all equivalent elder, pastor, bishop, shepherd, overseer. What am I forgetting? Uh, uh, yeah. Maybe it, right. That's yeah, that's mostly it. That's close at least. All those terms speak to the same uh, group of people. And that would be men who serve as leaders of local churches. So whenever someone talks about being bishop so-and-so, and if by that they're implying that they have some sort of like special authority from God or something, that's, that's not uh, it's special authority from God outside of a local church setting. That's not appropriate. And that's not biblical. And it's not true. It's not real. It's just an invention of, false religion, frankly, you know what I mean? That in any yeah. kind of, I'm not trying to be overly hateful about that, but that's just what it is. Um, yeah. But I, I do like the, the translation. Bishop, I think, is another one of those, kind of like deacon, where we're like, I don't quite know, what does that even mean? So some translations use the, the word, the office of an overseer. And that one makes a lot more sense to us. An overseer, it's pretty simple. In English, it's two words. You see something, oh, you oversee something. You're watching it. You're paying attention to it. Paul would say to a group of, these kinds of individuals in uh, Acts chapter 20 to that they were supposed to guard the flock that God had appointed them over. Actually, the same men that he's writing to here in Acts 20, he speaks to the elders at Ephesus, and that's the church that he's writing to. Well, sort of, he's writing to Timothy, who's at that church here in First Timothy 3. So anyway, I mean, that's the idea. There are these people who are supposed to watch over um, God's flock to protect against false doctrine, to watch out for divisions, to support people when they're struggling with sin, to encourage those who are downhearted. God has appointed um, certain people to lead his flock as shepherds, shepherd pastors, same idea, 
elders, the older ones, overseers, bishops, the ones who watch over. They're the ones who are supposed to protect and guide and lead God's people uh, in his ways. Anyway, I just think like kind of defining those terms is important. What else do you think we're missing as far as kind of clarifying those definitions of terms and making sure we've got that clear in our minds? Because I think that's kind of the starting point with both of these. Yeah, well, maybe a couple of, uh, yeah, that's the word Peggy added there. Presbyters is another word. That's Thanks. Yeah, I could call Peggy. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, and probably it's just helpful to, uh, to stress, like, if, again, coming back to what we said at the beginning, if this is the household of God, then shouldn't we let God, like, define the terms for leadership and all that? There's a lot of terms today that are used in ways that are not biblical. Like you said with bishop, like if you look up bishop in an English dictionary, you're not going to get anything like what you see here in, in, uh, in first Timothy three in Acts chapter 20 um, or in, in the other, the other Titus one, the other places where you see this word being used. Um, And, uh, and, 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 and the point that I, that the reason I bring that up is, um, there's a couple of texts, uh, first Peter five is one of them. Acts 20 is another where all three of these words, um, are used to describe the same role. I think today you often see in churches, um, you got the pastor or sometimes they'll call it the head pastor. And then you got the elders and then you got like, um, and then that may be different than the bishops, which may be over that or, or something like that. Um, and, 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 and there's so much confusion about it. It seems so much simpler to just let the scriptures kind of guide us on how to do that. And if you look at the scriptures, in the scriptures, it is very clear that an overseer is an elder, is a pastor or a shepherd. Um, those, are the same, those, those are the same role all throughout scripture. Um, and so I think that's helpful. Those two texts, uh, we're not going to dig into, I'm guessing, a lot. But uh, 1 Peter 5 and Acts 20 you'll see in both those texts, uh, all three of those words are used to describe the same role. And it's a really important thing. We get this thing straight because like we've been talking about, we're trying to live in God's house the way he wants it done. You, you alluded to this a little earlier, but that text at the end of first Timothy three says that we need to be living appropriately in God's house because the church is the thing that's promoting the truth in the world. You know, not that we're the basis of truth, but we're kind of this, uh, this, this pedestal, well, if we're getting, if the pedestal's all broken, then it's going to mess up the thing we're trying to hold up in the world. And so a, a lot of churches, and we know lots of people, and we ourselves get frustrated when we see corruption in churches and we see all kinds of mistakes that are made and false doctrines. Well, a lot of times, a lot of times the, where that starts is people, A, are rejecting the scriptures as the real source of determination of our views and practices. And then the leaders are established in a worldly way, not in a biblical, godly way, in a way that would please God. And then the whole thing is thrown off track. So that's a big deal. Um, I think just a couple other things that are also good on a preliminary. I mean, I don't think we're going to go through every single one of these things. That is a good thing to go through is go through every single attribute. But I don't know we're going to have time to do all of that. But we'll start getting into the attributes and kind of some big picture um, themes and stuff here in a second. But I think a couple other things to note that are interesting and significant one, this isn't explicit here, although whenever you put together, you already referenced Acts 20, 1 Timothy 3 here, Titus 1, 1 Peter 5. Um, when you put all those together, it's pretty clear that elders uh, work together. In other words, it's not that you see a single overseer operating over a church. Um, there's really only one overseer overall, and that's Jesus himself. 
Uh, and in local churches, it's always a group. It's not a, a single individual who does that. Again, I know that's not explicitly stated here, but I think it's significant for us to note. Even in other passages where it gets referenced, you never see a thing where somebody is writing to a church and he says, to the whole church and the one elder who's there. Like Philippians 1 verse 1, he says he's writing to the elders, plural. Right. Um, and that's part of God's thing. You know, none of us is above the rest. Even those who have positions of authority have that authority in a cooperative uh, team type uh, setup. Right. I think another thing that's significant too is uh, elders, overseers are elders or overseers over a local body of Christians. One way, again, this text doesn't explicitly say that all these that we've mentioned thus far, when you put them all together, you can see this theme and you see it's always people that are in a group. Elders are in a group. It's not a single pastor who's, you know, ruling a church or whatever. It's the group working together in leading the church. Um, and it's also over a local church. You never see people who's an elder and he has authority over some church that he's not a part of. Uh, and, but even in this text, I think hints at it because if there was an elder who's a church, uh, he was an elder in a church in, say, Connecticut. And we're here in Brooklyn and we say, well, he's our elder. He's he's shepherding over us. Well, how would we be able to know all of these things that are said about him if he was in a faraway place? Like this list talks about things that, that the only way you can know them is that you, you actually know the person. You're actually living with the person. You actually have a relationship with the person. And so we even get that hint here. Like I said, that's more, more clear when you kind of put together all the other scriptures about this. But um, elders are not people who are supposed to rule over churches that they're not actually part of. The scriptures say that you're a shepherd of the flock of God among you. And, uh, and that's another thing that's important. Just on a big picture thing. Okay. I mean, I don't know any other just big picture stuff before we start actually getting into the text, specifically about elders and then about deacons. Well, just to reiterate what you said, um, you don't see any kind of, uh, like you don't see any kind of head elder over other elders, like junior and senior, like you don't see that picture at all in scripture. Um, and you know, there's, there's not a head pastor and then the junior pastor or the, you know, whatever the, there's, there's the pastors plural, um, who, who lead uh, a group. There's the elders or the bishops plural who, who lead a group closer to, to the Lord. Um, and as you pointed out first, Peter makes clear in his letter um, that uh, that the, that the role of an elder um, is 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 limited to the congregation that they are among. They're not elders for all the churches in every um, you know state or or nation. You know, there's not like this. There's not that um, you know that that kind of hierarchy where you've got these, you know, the, the bishops over the pastors who are then over this elders of who are then over one church, you know, um, it ought to be that each church is organized biblically um, and has a group of, uh, of elders, pastors, overseers who then uh, lead that church closer to God. Um, and uh, the church submits to them, not to, not to people, not to leaders in a far off, far, far off place. Yeah. And that's why this is so important. What you just said there, they're supposed to be leading people closer to God. I uh, like David had a little comment on this last point we've been hitting on. He says, you can't oversee a group if you're not around. If you're not a part of that group, you can't oversee what's going on. This is not a title or a position of authority or honor or, oh, you've hit 
gold medallion status. Congrats. Now you're a bishop. No, this is an act of service to lead people closer to God. This was incredibly relevant. Think back to the context we've been talking about First Timothy back in First Timothy 1. There was false teaching. There were people who were messing up the truth. And as a result, messing up people's ability to love God and love one another appropriately. And there needed to be people who were doing this in the right way to be able to lead God's people in his ways. Here's the inter- one thing that I think is incredibly striking to me. Once you start looking at the list of qualifications or requirements in order to serve in this role is what's absent. There's nothing about being charismatic. Mm. There's nothing about business acumen, IQ score, yeah, or even your EQ. You know what they call emotional intelligence, right? Nothing about that. Like you don't have to have a high EQ score. Um, you don't have to be a gifted communicator who's yeah, none of that stuff. None you of that have CEO experience. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Like n- none of this stuff that we think of is like, hey, this is kind of what it means to be a great leader, to be really organized, or all that kind of stuff. It's not even mentioned. What is mentioned, though, in both of these, both for uh, elders who oversee a, a church and deacons or servants who facilitate the needs of a church to be met, both of these groups of people, it's much less about skills in the sense that we think of it in a worldly way. But the, the, the things that God emphasizes is character, godly character. And that's the predominant thing here. I mean, there's a lot of details to that. Um, I don't know if you have any that really stand out to you in particular, but just so many of these things highlight you need to have godly character, uh, whether that be your, uh, well, yeah, I'll just stop right there. Uh, what, what do you think about that? Or what do you see in there? Well, I agree with you. I think, um, and, and there's a reason for that, right? I mean, the goal of an elder, the goal of an overseer is to uh, manage the household of God. That is the goal of an elder, an overseer, a shepherd is to, Keep the, keep the people of God united or close to him, moving towards him, that is God, while also keeping them together. So then absolutely fundamental to, uh, to be able to lead people in that direction is you got to have a heart that's like God. You got to have a character that's, that's in pursuit of God's attributes. Um, and, so, and so I think you're exactly right. God is much more concerned about those things. You might say the same thing that God said to Samuel um, when when uh, when he said when he said man looks at the outward, but God looks at the heart when it comes to like godly leadership. God is not impressed by the things that man is and and and, and many of the accolades and many of the uh, awards and the experiences and the you know, and the test scores and all that mean very little to God. What matters to God is is the character of the man. Um who, uh, who is aspiring to the office. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems to me that this, I've heard some suggestions. I think there's something to it that the, the first and kind of the requirement of being a shepherd of being an elder, being an overseer, being an, uh, an elder an overseer then must be above reproach. That's it. That's it. And then he proceeds to explain a bunch of the dimensions of what it means to be uh, above reproach. Right. I guess we can just start here. Uh, one thing is it starts at home. You see in verse two and then again in verse four and five, uh, there's emphasis given to uh, your character at home. He used this phrase, the husband of one wife, which may be a reference to a you can't 
A, be in multiple marriages, but that would apply to all Christians. Uh, although most of these things actually are kind of the calling for all Christians, really. Um, or it could mean that he can't, could, can't have been divorced and remarried, uh, which depending on exactly all the details of that, that again might apply for all Christians. Um, but I like what some translations say, instead of the husband and one wife, they'll say an overseer must be faithful to his wife. And personally, I think that's, that's really the idea. This is somebody who's not a lustful man. He's not someone who betrays his wife or is, is known to, to do that. Not to say he's never done that in his whole life. If he has and he's repented and he's grown up in Christ, then okay, great. He's learned lessons from that. He moved on. But the idea is at this point in his life, he's a man who is faithful to his wife. Right. Besides that, he's somebody who has earned the respect of his children, verses four and five, so right. that his children are people who they're under his control. That's what the text says. I mean, I know that sounds a little weird to our ears sometimes, but the idea being is that he's won their respect. He's led them in a right way where they're not crazy. They're not acting out. They're not in rebellion or whatever. Um, and the reason verse five is, how do you think this dude's going to be able to handle God's house, God's family, if he can't even deal with his own house, if he can't even deal with his own family, if he's not faithful to his wife, why is he going to be faithful to serving in, in, as an elder? If he can't train his children and lead them and guide them, how's he going to train and lead and guide his, in some cases, peers who are in Christ? Right. You got, it starts at home. You've got to develop that kind of character. And that's where the rubber really meets the road. A lot of us can fake being good people or just be good people for short bursts whenever we're at work or when we're with brethren or whatever. But the way you are every day in your home and in your life, uh, that's where you really get exposed for that, that character, what it really is. And that's who I, that's who I really am. Right. Like, uh, you know, like you said, it's, it's a lot easier to, to appear to be certain things if I'm just the, you know, in a large group every once a week or a couple of times I'm around other people, it's a little bit easier to, to make people think something I'm not. To me, this is also, uh, it's not the reason he stresses for why they shouldn't be a new convert, but it's part of the reason is you need to have time to work on your own character. And there's no better place to work on your own character than in the home um, where, where your flaws and sins are going to be most easily exposed. Um, so, so, so a person needs time to work on learning to love and care for and shepherd his own family well. Um, and, get, and, and this is one of the dangers of appointing people um, pastors too quickly or appointing people to elders too quickly. I mean, today it's common to see, it's very common to see people appointed pastors, like sometimes even before they have kids or maybe right, right around the time the kids are born. Uh, some people are appointed pastors before they're even married. Um, and, and part of the problem with that is it doesn't give a person the time to mature and develop the kind of character that comes through those close relationships that happen within the family. Um, it doesn't give, the, it doesn't give the, the person the experience of learning to actually shepherd people. Um, and uh, I, I don't think, I don't, the, the, the wise and right way to learn to shepherd is not to start with a huge congregation of people. It's to start right at home with your wife and, and to work on loving my wife in such a way that I'm joined to her and I'm helping her to be joined to God and I'm helping her to, uh, to grow closer to God and to me every day. And then, and then you add like a few little kids around and man, that's like, you got your work cut out for you, but that's where it starts. That's like the training ground um, for, for learning how to care for people is right there in the home. Yeah. And, and, and in the home is where uh, um, 
a man, anyone, but in this context that we're talking about today, particularly a man, is going to learn how to take direction from God for himself and for others and be able to impart that direction in a way that's that's beneficial for them and actually leads them in God's ways. And where he'll learn to interact in that those acts of servant leadership in a way that uh, that are appropriate. So much of the teaching here is not only about, uh, well, it's an extension of and, and kind of a broader picture of the way you should be relating at home. And I'm using the word relating on purpose. So much of this is about your relationships. I mean, it talks about being temperate, respectable, hospitable, um, uh, gentle, peaceable. Uh, there may be a couple others. I mean, there's a, a great majority of this list is about ways you interact with other people. So we might use other words. Are you patient? Are you kind? Are you gracious? Or are you a self-centered jerk? If you are, you can't leave God's house. God's house is a house of love. And if you haven't learned that, then you need to be sitting at somebody else's feet to learn how to serve and learn how to love and learn how to be like Christ himself. What we want as far as leaders in God's house, overseers, shepherds, elders, whatever word you want to use, we want people who understand that the goal of our instruction is love. And so ideally, someone would learn that at home by being a godly husband and a godly father. And he's trained his heart to learn how to not only do that for his family in honor of God, but also to do that for the entire church. So much of this is about how a man uh, treats others. And uh, honestly, that's probably, you know, on a fundamental level, the first thing, whenever someone, whenever a church is considering someone to be appointed as an elder, can we really describe this man as a gentle man? It's not just, is he sticking to his wife and or his kids pretty good? Because sometimes that's all it takes. Do like, you show up for church? We don't know any really terrible things about you. Your wife hasn't left you and your kids aren't totally crazy. You're an elder. No, it's way more than that. Is this, I mean, just the hospitality one alone. Is this a man who looks at those who are on the outside, those who are lonely, those who don't have friends, and he's going to be there for them. He's going to love them. He's going to support them. He's going to encourage them, you know. Um, and we could go on with all these. A lot of this is an expression of that thing we keep going back to in chapter one and verse five, learning to love uh, rooted in the gospel. Yep. I'm not sure where this fits in. I probably should have said it earlier, but now it's probably a good time for us to throw it out here. Um, there's lots and lots of Bible teaching about headship and male leadership. We talked about this some last week. It is probably worth mentioning. You know, some people might say, so what about like a female pastor? You know, some of that refer back to what we talked about last week at the end of chapter two. Somebody said, well, what about if it's a non-teaching female pastor, you know, a woman who's appointed uh, in a church? Well, this passage would exclude women from having this position of uh, leadership, servant leadership in the church, because it says the husband of one wife, not a Christian of one spouse. But say a Christian of one spouse, then it could be male or female, arguably. But he's really specific. This is another example in the scriptures of that men need to take up the responsibility to be leaders. But once again, not leaders in the worldly sense of accruing power for ourselves, but rather giving up all of our power, giving up everything. Uh, that's so much of this passage is about that, that you're not asserting your own will or your power at all. You're doing this in service to others. I'm not real, real sure where that fit in. I think we should have said that earlier. And I just let it slip by. But uh, I think that's worth saying that has been talking about the home and family stuff. Uh, that's I'm glad, I'm glad you brought that up too, because I think that is important. Um, we could couple this statement, which he specifically says a one woman man, 
Um, and you can couple that with the fact that all throughout scripture, like you, you won't find any example of a woman serving in, uh, in an overseer position or a pastor, a pastoral position. Um, you know, so again, if it's, that may be to us, like sound extremely offensive and almost like not fair. Um, you know, this, uh, this is not very egalitarian or whatever, but if it's God's household, then God gets to set the order. And if God says, this is the way it's going to be, um, and I want to be part of his household, then I need to be submissive to that. Um, and be, and be, and be understanding of the fact that there are lots of people who did tremendous things for the Lord who didn't serve as pastors. So what? Uh, I don't really care what my role is. Just let me be a part of the kingdom. Let me be, let me be any kind of service role and get in the kingdom. That's, that's all that matters. I think part of this, part of our struggle with this is um, there's a lot of texts that humble us and it doesn't appeal to our pride. Like my pride says, I want a title. Um, and we live in a society like, in, uh, I mean, think about churches today, man. There's, it's like everybody has to have a title. Everybody has to have a specific role in a specific like ministry or specific this or that. Um, you know, you don't find that at all in scripture. You don't see anything like that in scripture. Yeah. Um, it's about, it's about people serving. I love too just another one that stood out to me here in verse three, um, free from the love of money, yeah. which is actually emphasized in almost every text that talks about elders. Um, I think you find something close by about free from the love of money. Uh, I think there's a reason for that. Um, and it's sad. You see what happens today in churches today when people are appointed to leadership positions who are in love with money. Then there's all sorts of corruption uh, and people are, people take something that's supposed to be about glorifying God and they use it to abuse mankind, to exploit poor people. Um, you know, and, and, and so, uh, and so think about that, like becoming a pastor is about taking a role of service and sacrifice. It's not about taking some sort of role that, that somehow is going to gain me either wealth or prosperity or some sort of, uh, you know, popularity or position. This is about embracing a role of service to shepherd the people of God. And so um, it's not something I better, I, I better sign up for if, I, if I'm looking for wealth or money, because um, it may end up, lead, I may end up becoming a leader who doesn't lead people towards God and God's house, uh, but actually leads them away. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's one of a handful here. I mean, we've kind of hit on, okay, definition of what it means to be an overseer. Um, we've hit on, you know, the, the family requirements, by the way, those of you who are keeping score, you might be like, wait, we're just spending a lot of time on elders when I get into the deacons thing. A lot of the reason for that is, is deacons, we're going to come to them in a minute and say a couple of things, but most of these, a lot of these things, at least are paralleled exactly with deacons or deacons have a less stringent requirement, right? So for instance, um, they're supposed to be good managers of their children. Uh, there's not all the specifics given for elders. Elders are supposed to be able to do a little bit more with their kids, or the idea might be there's a little more maturity with elders and their relationship with their kids as opposed to deacons, perhaps, and stuff like that. So anyway, we'll get to them. But um, so we've got the definition of this role, the idea that man needs to be above reproach, um, the home and family requirements or expectations, and then just this general thing of, hey, he needs to learn to relate to people with love. And there's a lot of details given of that. Um but I like, you mentioned one of them here, free from the love of money. A couple others I'm seeing that I don't know how they fit into any specific category. And therefore, I think they're noteworthy uh, and ones for us to, to think about a little bit. So you already hit the one on love of money. There's also verse three, not addicted to wine, 
Uh, there's also uh, verse uh, six, not a new convert so that he will not become conceited. I think that's worth us coming back to and talking a little bit more. And also verse seven, have a good reputation with those outside the church. So you've already hit the one on love of money. Uh, I'll go ahead and say a couple of things about the one. You may want to add to that. And then we can hit those other couple of unique ones that kind of stand apart. Um, I mean, look, all Christians need to be not addicted to wine. Can't be drunk. It's just, that's a Christianity thing. But it's especially important for those who are going to serve as servant leaders, guiding the flock. You wouldn't want a drunk shepherd watching over your flock because if he's drunk, then that's going to mean that some of the sheep are going to get eaten by a wolf or they're going to wander off and get lost or they're going to not eat or not find good, good grass to feed on or whatever. Well, how much more is that true of a shepherd of God's people? We need somebody who is always sober-minded, ready to take a phone call late on a Friday or Saturday night when someone's in a crisis, always clear-headed, always godly, not slipping into some kind of sin or whatever. And so uh, not only do all Christians need to uh, absolutely abstain from drunkenness, but especially those who are going to lead God's people can't be addicted to wine because they got to be clear thinking in the work that they're doing for the Lord. Yep. Yeah, that's so exactly. one, you, you pick next one, which one you want to talk about. You want to talk about um, the uh, not a new convert so you won't become conceited or have a good reputation for those outside the church. Which one you want to start? Yeah, about? let's start with the not being conceited thing. And, um, and just from, you know, experience talking to so many uh, brothers and sisters, um, there's so many churches that are, are like almost like obsessed with uh, training leaders quickly, you know, like training leaders quickly. We got to get people, you got to get people disciple and then we got to get them in the leadership position quickly. And, and I've seen that happen in churches and I've seen the effects of that often where you get people in leadership who are in leadership positions quickly and they're not prepared for it. And, and, and a couple of things will happen. One, a lot of times they spend more time focusing on leading other people than leading themselves. Like they try to teach others before they teach themselves. They're not really learners, they're just teachers. And that's a really, really dangerous position to put yourself in. Um, for one, it shows a great deal of pride um, that I think like, hey, I think other people need this more than I need it. Um, but then two, it also leaves me vulnerable. And I think this is what can easily happen to a new convert is, uh, you know, if I'm so focused on the needs of other people and I haven't gotten to the point where I've disciplined and trained myself to learn to take care of my spiritual needs first and to address my spiritual needs first, I can very easily become arrogant to the point where I leave myself vulnerable for every other sin to sneak in. And I've seen that happen uh, many, many times, um, you know, in, in churches where people became leaders quickly, uh, but they weren't really dealing with the sin and the weaknesses and the problems within them. And very quickly now everybody's depending on them. And so now they can't deal with their sin and they can't admit to it and they can't address it in a healthy way or confess it. Um, so they feel at least because they haven't been taught to, they haven't been given the time to really grow and mature and, and learn what it really means to be a disciple. Um, if we are disciples of Christ, we are always learners first, teachers and shepherds second. Um, therefore, uh, you got to give people some time to grow and develop, to have their character tested too. That's the other thing is like, um, it's easy to become proud when you haven't been through anything. Like you're, you're a new Christian, you haven't been through much. 
you got to give people time to go through like the wars and the hardships and the and the wilderness wanderings and and that kind of stuff um to to have to really be tested to be then be able to know that you're matured and ready to be able to handle that larger responsibility of taking care of others other souls yeah and there's a parallel once again a parallel instruction given to deacons with you just use that language of testing verse 10 these men must also first be tested then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. So even those men who are younger, they're not, they're not in a place maturity wise to even be considered as elders anyways, their family life isn't there yet. Their character isn't there. Even as deacons, uh, roles of service that they may be appointed to let them be tested first so that they don't, um, uh, and then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. So this is the same kind of thing that you're talking about there. I think it's huge. And, and, and just as a side note, this, this issue of being coming conceited, Paul comes back to that later in 1 Timothy in chapter 6. Uh, near the very end in verse 3, he says, hey, there are some people who aren't going to agree with what I'm writing. There are some people, maybe even in that church, uh, who are not going to agree with the sound teaching that accords with Jesus Christ. In verse 4, he says, that man is conceited and understands nothing. Well, that's bad in a leader. You don't want a leader who's so conceited. Of course, we know that. We know we got people who think they know everything and what they end up proving, and this is in every arena of life, probably a lot of people who are tuning into this, you know, people at your job uh, or in your family or in your community, your neighborhood, whatever, who just, they think they know everything. Therefore they really don't know anything. He understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words. That's first Timothy one, one of the root problems Paul saw out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of truth who suppose that godliness is a means of great gain. This issue of becoming arrogant with a title or with a position of so-called authority, it's so dangerous because it eliminates your ability to learn the truth and know the truth. And it makes you a poison to everybody that you're around. And you'll destroy other people's ability to understand the truth. Because if you're the overseer, I'm coming to you for answers Right. But if you're too conceited to even figure out what's true from God, you're not going to be able to help me know what's true. Right. And then also you're going to end up messing up a bunch of people's relationships first with God and then secondarily with each other. So this is a huge, huge issue. And it shows us over on an overarching level, this whole issue of being either an overseer or a deacon, arrogance, pride, conceit, self-exaltation, self-promotion, that stuff has to be absolutely eliminated in order for this thing to work the way it ought to. Yeah, I think that's also why uh, he mentions in chapter three, and uh, what is it, verse? Uh, one of those verses I was reading, he's eager to serve. Um, thought I was seeing that somewhere. Maybe I, I don't know where I got that from. Maybe I was looking at a different text, but uh, but the idea it fits in. It fits in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the idea is that ultimately, you know, we're oh. Yeah, yeah. Um, that 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 we're gonna be em- emphasizing uh, serving, like that's that's what the role is all about. Um, it's about it's about a, a lifestyle of service, no doubt. And one of the areas, so it's funny. We talked about how a lot of this stuff starts at home, but one area you're also gonna find out about somebody's real character is about what's going on outside too. Verse seven, and he gives a special qualification that he must have a good reputation with those outside the church. So he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Um, I, I think the idea is he can't be two-faced. Some people are really cool around the church people, you know, 
they're they're godly. I mean, we even know some we know of people who have been cool around their family, but it turns out they were living a double life. Um, I actually know churches that uh, whenever a man is being considered to be an elder, they say we're going to call your employer. We need the phone number, you know, and they do that to say, hey, we're considering so and so for a position of leadership in our church, and one of the standards that the scriptures teach us is he's got to have a good reputation. We want to know, is he a good worker? Is he honest? Is he kind? Is he you know, all these kinds of things? I don't know that that exact procedure is the thing every the church would need to do, but something like that's reasonable because uh, in, you need to be the same person at home, among the brethren and among the outsiders. You got to be legit. I'm not sure, but maybe that's what verse seven is. One snare that could happen is hypocrisy, that you're acting good but you're really not being a righteous person. There's got to be a consistency of your character, not just a maturity of your character, not just a kindness in your character and an empathy in your character. There's got to be a consistency that you're a real person and you're genuine all the time, everywhere you go, you're the same kind of guy, no matter what. Yeah. This protects against that. Like, uh, you know, the uh, putting on my church clothes and being a different person on Sunday than I am on Monday through Friday, you know, like this is a good reminder. No, um, the, the, if I'm going to serve in this role and truthfully, if I'm going to be a disciple, I need to be the same person every day. Like I need to be, I need to have a, the, 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 my reputation in the church should not be different from my reputation on the street on in the neighborhood or, or in, on the job. Um, people should know that I have a heart for God and that I'm working to become more and more like him. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and you alluded to this just now. I think it's worth us saying um, there's at least one more attribute of elders and deacons. And maybe there's a couple of things we'll say about deacons before we wrap it up here. Um, most of the things listed here are just how Christians are supposed to act. Because the great force that elders and deacons are going to have is in their godliness and right. as examples of godliness, both to their brethren and to those outside. So, I mean, really, in some ways, it's just saying, hey, you need to be an extremely mature Christian. That's the idea. Those are the people. That's that's the above reproach qualification of being a shepherd. And I'm not saying we shouldn't pay close attention to every single detail here. We should. But really, what we're talking about is someone who's genuinely mature. And one of the marks of maturity, maybe one of the fundamental marks of maturity, besides um, conducting yourself well in your family, having the right kind of attitude and relationships with other people, keeping yourself free from character stains like pride, drunkenness, greed, all that kind of stuff. Uh, one mark of maturity is really having a depth of understanding of the faith. Right. He mentions it briefly here. I think this gets more emphasis in Titus. We'll get to that in several weeks. So we're not spending a ton of time on it today. But, uh, but he does mention that um, an elder needs to be, at the end of verse 2, able to teach. That doesn't mean that he's a gifted uh, communicator, like we said earlier. But it means that if someone sits down and says, hey, I don't understand baptism. Hey, I need some help figuring out some things about fill in the blank, you know, um, uh, how I'm supposed to handle myself in my marriage. Or, hey, can you help me understand what the promise is to Abraham? How does that relate to the gospel? You know, so on and so on and so on. An elder should have a depth of understanding of those things to where he is able to teach, able to communicate those things. It's, it's less, um, it's, it's a, I guess, I don't know, less stringent of a requirement given about deacons, but a similar thing in verse nine, it says that deacons are to be holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. 
So there it doesn't say that deacon needs to be able to teach because he's not overseeing the church. He's serving in the needs of, of the church. We might think about like something like Acts 6, like providing for the needs of widows in the church, whatever. But even a guy like that, even if he's just waiting tables, which is a hugely important thing, whatever a deacon may be doing, even if he's not particularly able to teach, he needs to be holding to the mystery of the faith. He needs to. Ha- he also needs to have a depth of understanding of the scriptures and what God has said and of the truth of the gospel and not be caught up in worldly controversies and things of that nature. Uh, you've got to be really, really grounded in the faith because that's where all this stuff comes from. You're not going to have a godly character if you're not grounded in the faith. You're not going to be a good husband or father if you're not grounded in the faith. You're not going to avoid temptations of the flesh if you're not grounded in the faith. That's where it all starts is really believing in the faith and, and even being able in the case of an elder, a shepherd, to be able to impart that faith to others through teaching. Yeah, agreed, 100%, uh, which is why, um, which is why, like, the emphasis of this, as we said at the beginning, is all about character in developing your faithfulness to God, um, because if, if, if a person is, is faithful to God and really devoted to, has a servant heart that wants to be a servant toward God and for his fellow man, and they're going to grow into these other qualities that are going to make them useful um, in any sort of servant role. Um, I don't know where to throw this in, but I'll throw it in here. Um, you know, one of the things that deeply concerns me about what I see in so many places and in so many churches, and it's also concerned me at times in my own heart, uh, uh, is uh, there seems to be such a like a real desire to have some sort of special title or special um to be known as something you know i had a friend um who i love to death uh but he when i first met him he introduced himself as as a deacon so and so you know um and 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 this guy uh, his name wasn't deacon like that was like a title he used right? right it was it was a title that he used and then he used his name um, and this guy, I mean, had never been able to stay married, had been with different women and never been able to stay married to them. Um, you know, he didn't he didn't uh, have good relationships with his children. He um, he 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 couldn't find any book of the Bible. Um, and yet his church had appointed him deacon, you know, um, you know, and, and it just goes to show that we've missed like what the heart of scripture is saying. And sometimes we don't even know what the scriptures are saying. And we're just kind of appointing people in these positions because this is what's to be done. But we've totally missed the heart of God and what God desires. Um, you know, it reminded me, and I'll post this in the comments here, of, uh, of what Jesus says in Matthew 23 about the teachers uh, of his day and how um, he says, Basically, don't do what they do. <laughs> do what they tell you to say. Or do, do what they say, but don't do what they do. Um, for they do not practice what they preach. And, and then he, he goes on to say um, that they love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. They love to be called teacher or rabbi by other people. Uh, and then he says, you're not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. Uh, don't call anyone on earth father. For you have one father and he's in heaven. And, and basically what Jesus is doing here is he's reminding us that there's no greater rank in the kingdom of God than that of servant. And basically th- these roles of elder and, and, and deacon are just different roles in the body of Christ, 
different servant roles. Uh, and, and certainly the, the role of elder comes with some measure of authority. Certainly there is some measure of authority that comes with leaders in the church, that's for sure. But, but the, from the perspective of the, of the person itself who has that role, it's not about me getting respect. In fact, First Peter, he really makes this clear, um, although he alludes to that, I think, here in First Timothy as well. Um, the elder has no right to demand respect or, uh, or authority or, you know, uh, at all. It's about, it's about you being an example, you being a servant, you being somebody who loves others and sacrifices for them, and then others will follow behind you um, in the footsteps of Jesus. And I think that's just really important for us to think about. We need to be careful. If, I, if I'm looking for a title, if I'm looking to be recognized, if I'm looking for somebody to call me X, Y, Z, uh, I need to watch out to make sure that my heart isn't being gripped by pride. Um, and maybe I should just be uh, trying to find ways to, to focus on serving in ways that nobody else knows about and, so that I can make sure that, that my heart is focused on please, being pleasing to God, not being known or recognized or having a good reputation among man. Amen. I mean, I think that's a great, a really important summation at the end. We're kind of coming full circle, right? I and mean, that's part yeah. of why we... we spend some time up front trying to define these things. These are functional roles, not titles and positions. You right. know? Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think that's great. And, and, and actually I think verse 13 is really interesting. And I think it's cool that he gives it to deacons instead of to overseers. Maybe if we go back to our little word, he gives it to the servants. Right. Right. Uh, by the way, I do think um, one, one, swing and a miss on people's understanding and, and a lot of people who would claim to be following Jesus in their churches, but really aren't following what the scriptures teach on leadership in church and many other things. But this is one of the big things. Church leadership structure is one of the big, big swings and misses that messes up a lot of churches from actually following the scriptures and following Jesus. Right. Um, you know, deacons end up being the ones making all the choices, end up being the ones leading the church and the elders are sort of like figureheads or whatever in some setups the deacon board, you know, makes the choices about things. Uh, that's not how it works. Like the people who are supposed to oversee the church are those men of maturity who we've already talked about, right? Deacons are supposed to serve. So the types of things we're talking about is we mentioned earlier, act six, they're not technically called deacons, but they are probably like a prototype of what deacons would be a group of men who there were the servant leaders of the church said, Hey, we need to make sure we attend to the spiritual needs of the church, but you know what? Attending to spiritual needs is the most important, but these folks are going to you know, not have any needs pretty soon if they don't eat. So we got to provide for these brethren in our church. So we need some men to oversee that, to manage that. So, hey, go pick some, right? That's the kind of, that's, that's deacon work. That's the kind of service we're talking about, right? Transportation for people to their doctor's visits and, um, you know, I mean, just on and on the kinds of things that happens in a life of a church that deacons need to address, that servants need to address, well, it's not glorious. It's not even noticed. It's not noticeable. It's not something you're going to get credit for. But I love verse 13, that if we would think in the way that you were just exhorting us to think, not to think in terms of a title of authority and position, but think of it as an act of service, a role that I play in the body of Christ that may carry some measure of authority. It may even carry some measure of honor. That's not a bad thing. The scriptures say to honor those who are honorable, but it's not about that. It's not what I'm chasing. What I'm chasing is to do whatever I can for the Lord in the way that pleases him. Verse 13 says, 
for those who have served well as servants or served well as deacons, but let's read it that way. For those who have served well as servants, obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Well, high standing among who? Maybe the brethren. We should honor our deacons if we have deacons who are serving well and all that. They should receive, you know, honor. But I kind of doubt that's what he's talking about. I think what he's talking about is they they receive a high standing among, in, in front of the servant of all servants who right. recognizes what they do and elevates that. The same thing, the reference in verse 11 to women. Uh, there's a debate whether he's talking about women who would be appointed to special roles of service or women who are the wives of deacons. Either way, you take that verse. Um, his point there again is this, verse 13, whoever you are, whatever you're doing, however you're serving God in accordance with his will, you're guaranteed high standing, not in the eyes of the world, maybe not always in the eyes of your brethren. By the way, a good overseer is probably going to bug the Christians sometimes because he's going to tell them things they may not want to hear and lead them in ways they may not want to go because he's leading them in God's way. Doesn't matter. We're not doing it for the approval of people or financial gain or ease or comfort or elevation in a title. We're doing it to please the Lord. That's what all acts of service are. That's what being in God's house is all about. And I think I love verse 13 for that reason. I love that he gave that to the deacons and he didn't give it to the elders, the people that might obviously be seen as people with high standing, so-called. He right. gives it to the servants. And that I think just pairs along with what you were saying there, that uh, that's the way we need to think about this stuff. Yep. Amen. That's a good note to end on. Good stuff. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. This is great. Um, there may be things. We, we didn't cover everything, obviously, just for sake of time. Send us a message. We'll try to be prompt with a response and get back to you if you have any questions or follow up on any of this stuff. Uh, or if you have you know specific scenarios, we now, we may be limited in how much we can help with given observations from scriptures. But if you're wondering about more specific scenarios of how church leadership is, should look or whatever, feel free to reach out to us and we'd be happy to talk some more. I don't know. Yeah, if or if, or if we're wrong too, like, you know, I, I, we've said some pretty critical stuff here about, uh, about the way churches are often run. So if, if you see things that uh, we're said that's wrong, we, we'd really appreciate you reach out to us. We we say these things because we think they're true and we're trying to encourage people to follow the truth. So help us toward that end. No doubt. No doubt. All right, man. Anything else before we wrap it up for today? I think we're good. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody. Lord willing, we'll see you all uh, next Saturday. The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.